Father, we bless and praise and honor the name of Jesus. We come before your word this morning humbly and respectfully. We come before you with joy in our hearts, ready to draw water from the wells of salvation. Thank you that revealed knowledge is granted us. I pray for everybody under the sound of my voice in this building, in our house centers, in our campuses all over the world, on television, on radio, and everyone connected to this service, even right here in the auditorium. We're so glad that we have the privilege to learn and to be equipped in the knowledge of Christ. And so I decree that your people are built up as the word comes forth. We take authority over every yoke and burden. We, dis- we destroy them in the name of Jesus. And we decree that your people built up, equipped, edified by the end of this service and Jesus glorified. Thank you, Father, that through these 30 days of glory, your people's understanding will be so enlightened. Clarity will come. Every scripture that has been an issue will be demystified. Jesus will be so revealed in our hearts like we've never known before. And we thank you, Lord, that we will rise big in our hearts, ready to do the greater things for the glory of God. Thank you for the blessing. In Jesus' precious name, and every believer in the building, shout a powerful amen. amen. Lift your right hands to heaven. Let's release our faith together. As we say these words, I am born of God. I am born of the word. The word of God is my nature. I do not struggle to do the word. I do the word naturally. Therefore, today, I will understand the word of his grace. I will be built up. By the end of this service, I will never be the same. Never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name. And every believer says a powerful amen. Amen. We want to welcome every one of you connected to this service this morning by way of Kingdom Life Network, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. And all of you that are connected to the service this morning by way of Radio XL FM and Comfort FM. Both stations are streaming live this morning and wherever you're hearing us in a quiet bomb state we're so glad to have all of you connected to this service this morning hey guys we are really excited get ready the word is going to build you up and this is the beginning of 30 days of glory 30 days of building you in the knowledge of christ and 30 days of celebrating your inheritance in christ jesus can somebody celebrate with a shout in this building glory Amen. And all of you in the house centers and our campuses around the world, it's a joy to come your way this morning. Get ready to be built up, equipped, and edified. Grab a pen, a notebook, and your Bible. Make sure you have a big notebook because we have a lot to study through the course of 30 days of glory. So grab your pen and notebook and Bible, and you can be seated with your sweet, smart self as we get into the word of his grace this morning. In the first service this morning, I laid a foundation on the legal and vital work of salvation. The legal and vital work of salvation. And that is the subject we'll be examining throughout the 30 days of glory 2020. A scholar that I respect very deeply by the name of E.W. Kenyon said that every denomination is defined by its knowledge of the new birth or what we call salvation. And this is so true and apt. The subject of salvation is a study of Christ. The subject of salvation is a study of Christ. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse number 15. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse number 15. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse number 15. 
Brother Paul writes to Timothy and he says to Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It is almost a given that a person's view of salvation is his knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. A person's view of salvation is his knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is the central theme of the Bible and it forms the basis of Christianity. It's a central theme of the Bible and it forms the basis of Christianity. It is a subject that affects the very core of man's existence. Hence, it is a subject that must not be taken lightly as it is the primary thought exuded in the canon of scripture. It is the primary thought exuded in the canon of scriptures. Salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It's sad that some believers do not know what salvation is, while some others cannot state in clear terms when they got saved. Such believers can assume that salvation is a byproduct of what they did, how hard they try, how hard they work hard, how moral they are, how they are able to live perfect if there's any such thing in the physical or what they didn't do. Without doubt, such mindset about the subject of salvation is born out of wrong interpretation of Bible texts. And remember, when a scripture is misinterpreted, a truth is lost. When a scripture is misinterpreted, a truth is lost. And this brings to fore Brother Paul's words to Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Put it up again for me. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse number 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needed not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. The word study was translated from the Greek word spoudazo. S-P-O-U-D-A-Z-O. If you're writing, S-P-O-U-D-A-Z-O, spudazo, which implies to be diligent, to be diligent, to make effort, or to be eager. Study in the Greek is the word spudazo. It speaks of putting hard work. Hence, it goes beyond just reading the Bible text, beyond that. It was used 11 times in the New Testament books of the Bible. It is imperative to note that Brother Paul used the word spudazo in the fourth chapter of the same epistle to Timothy. And it was, however, translated as diligence. Diligence. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 9. Put it up for me. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse number 9. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 9, number 9. Check it up in your Bible. Second Timothy chapter 4 verse number 9. The scripture says in Second Timothy 4 9, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Take note of the word diligence. Look at Second Timothy chapter 4 verse 21. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 21. Do thy diligence to come before winter. 
Eubulus greeted thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. The word diligence. The word diligence in the text we just read was translated from the Greek words pudazo, the same word for study in the other context of 2 Timothy 2.15. is the same word he used as diligence in 2 Timothy 4.9 and 4.21. Spudazo. Spudazo was translated as do thy diligence. It will imply to make every effort at something. To make every effort at something. Another shade of that word is to throw yourself at something. Throw yourself at something. Paul used the same word again in his letter to Titus, a fellow minister of the gospel. Titus chapter 3 verse number 12. Titus chapter 3 verse number 12. When I shall send Artemis unto thee, or Tychicus, be diligent, the word diligent, to come unto me to Nicopolis, for I have determined there to winter. This implies that when brother Paul said to Timothy to make an intense effort, that is, he was to exert himself. In other words, the instructions to Timothy, a minister of the gospel, was for him to be diligent with the scriptures. There is no lazy approach permitted to the scriptures. You must be diligent. You must exert yourself you know, where the scriptures are concerned. That is why what, what the next thing brother Paul will say is, a workman, study to show yourself approved unto God, be diligent, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. A workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly, dividing the word of truth. The term a workman was translated from the Greek word egates. Egates is E-R-G-A-T-E-S. Egates, which implies a tailor or a laborer. A tailor or a laborer. This buttresses the importance of diligence. Hard work on the part of the minister of the gospel with the scriptures. Hard work. He must be diligent in his study of the scriptures. The term rightly dividing was translated from a compound word in the Greek lexicon. The word ototomio. Ototomio, which was gotten from two words. The word temno and otos. Now, let me spell ototomio. O-R-T-O-T-O-M-E-O. Ototomio. Taken from two words, temno, T-E-M-N-O, and otos. O-R-T-H-O-S. Temno means to cut, to cut, to cut. While otos means straight, to cut straight. Otos was used two other times in the New Testament. Let's see where it was used. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 13. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way. But let it rather be healed. Make straight paths to cut through, rightly dividing. Look at it again in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14, verse number 10. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 14, verse number 10. Said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. Stand upright. So the words upright and straight was translated from the same Greek word, authors. 
So the term rightly divide as used by Paul will imply to cut straight or to cut properly. Also, when the word is used, it is basically to show carefulness or properness. Carefulness or properness. It presupposes carefulness. That is, the teacher of the word or the minister of the gospel has to be careful in how he handles Bible texts. He has to be careful. Remember what I said a few minutes ago. When a scripture is misinterpreted, a truth is lost. A minister of the gospel must be careful in how he handles Bible texts. A similar use of the word ototomio will be seen in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 to 6. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thy own understanding. Verse 6. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. He shall direct thy paths. The word direct was translated from the Hebrew word yasha. Hebrew word yasha. Y-A-S-H-A-R. It means smooth, straight, or proper. Yasha. Smooth, straight, or proper. It is mostly used for proper direction. It means to make straight or to straighten. Therefore, the phrase, direct your path, implies to direct things properly. To direct things properly. He was lifted from three Hebrew words, Yashar, Y-A-S-H-A-R, Pel, P-I-E-L, and Temno, T-M-N-O. It, it, you know, it connotes to direct one's path to something, to cut through and direct your path to something. Please pay attention. To direct your path to something. That's very critical and very fundamental. This is in other words, it means cutting things into two to make the path straight. So the phrase, direct your paths, as used in Hebrews 3, 6, is the exact word translated in the Septuagint Greek. Now when you hear Septuagint Greek, it means it is a translation that takes the Hebrew words and translates them directly into Greek. Septuagint Greek. As the word ototomio. There are two comparisons when the word ototomio is used. Earlier writers or the pre-New Testament writers use this word for those who are into mining. Mining. Okay? In mining, you are not doing anything to create a mineral. In mining, you are not doing anything to create a mineral. Rather, what you are simply doing is extracting what is already available extracting what is already available. Secondly, it has to do with cutting a line straight, being careful and precise in your use of measurement. Being careful and precise in your use of measurement. Therefore, the word ototomio, rightly dividing the word of truth, is an excavation and not an innovation. A preacher is not supposed to innovate. A preacher is supposed to excavate the scriptures in a bid to get into the mind of the author. To discover what the author's intent was in writing the text. 
the preacher is not supposed to superimpose his opinion, idea, or his perspective to the scriptures. Mm -mm. He's supposed to go into the mind of the author and contextually find out what was in the mind of the author and reveal it to those listening to him. That is why the word ototobio was used because it's a properness and a carefulness required by any preacher of the gospel in interpreting the text of the scripture. So in this regard, innovation is when thoughts, innovation is when thoughts are already on your mind and you look for scriptures to back them up. You have a thought, you have a bias. You have a mindset about something. Then you now gather scriptures, which is what some of my fellow Pentecostal preachers are good in doing. You just have an idea, then you say, let's look for scriptures to back it up. Mm -mm. We don't back up things. It is called insigesis. Insigesis is when you superimpose your opinion on the scriptures. We don't do insigesis. We do exigesis. Exegesis is when you allow the scriptures speak to you the intent of the author. Insegesis is when you force the scriptures to say what you want, which is an abuse of the scriptures, which is what many people do all the time. They just look for scriptures that sound alike, but most times those scriptures are out of context. I gave an illustration a few, 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 few weeks ago. For example, you read the Bible and you see scriptures like, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You read scriptures that says, friendship with the world is enmity with God. A friend of the world is an enemy of God. Then you read the same Bible which says, for God so loved the world. <laughs> for God so loved the world. He said, don't love the world, but he himself is loving the world. That he gave his only begotten son. He says, make no friendship with the world. Then he now says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, you see love, 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 but they are not the same. World, world, they are not the same. In the scriptures, there's no omnibus application to words of scriptures. What it means is, the same word can mean different things in different contexts. So that is why the Bible is a contextual material. Therefore, it requires a depth of intelligence and you need to contextually study the Bible. So what does he mean by saying love not the world? Then he now says for God so love the world. The word world has two different Greek words. World is aeons and there is world as cosmos. So when he says love not the world, what he was simply saying is Love not the aeons. The aeons is the world's way of thinking that contradicts God. The cosmos is the cosmopolitan where human beings are. So you love not their way of thinking, but God loves the cosmopolitan where human beings are. It will take interpretation of the text to be able to understand exactly what it implies. Otherwise, if the text is not interpreted, in your mind, you will see a contradiction. In your mind, you will see a contradiction because in the unschooled mind, it's like God is saying, you don't love the world, but let me love the world. So that's a contradiction to his character. But there is no contradiction. 
contradiction of scriptural text only exists in the mind of the one reading who has no understanding of the intent or who has no understanding of the interpretation of that text in the scriptures. Please stay with me. So, this certainly is the murder error. The murder error is when a preacher has a thought and is using scriptures to back it up. In other words, when preaching from the scriptures, the minister of the gospel must not. The minister of the gospel must not innovate. He must not innovate what is not included in the text by the original author. Just because their minds already are blocked from seeing for the light. This buttresses the fact that a preacher or a minister of the gospel has a duty to be diligent, to toil, to labor, to work hard in order to see exactly what the scriptures say and teach the very same. We're just supposed to echo what has been said. <laughs> the church is built on the foundation that is already laid by the apostles and the prophets, Jesus himself, the cornerstone. Our job is to echo what they have said and rightly interpret or rightly divide it for the consumption of believers. At no point must we read our meaning into it. At no point. We just stay with what has already been written. No one is at liberty to give a personal interpretation or a personal meaning to a text. This is because a text of scripture can never mean today what it never meant when it was first written. A text of scripture can never mean today what it never meant when it was first written. That is why there is consistency in the truth of the scripture. There is consistency in the truth of the scripture. The importance of being diligent with the scriptures cannot be overemphasized. A number of denominations in existence today or you know, a function, a function of either an overemphasis or a misrepresentation or a misapplication of certain texts of the scriptures. You know, there's a particular denomination that has at the foundation of their emphasis follow all men with holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. That's the hub of the emphasis of that particular denomination. And what they emphasize is that if you are not holy in your conduct, you will not see the Lord. But if you go to the text where they quoted from in the book of Hebrews, that's not what the writer of Hebrews was saying. What the writer of Hebrews was talking about is that the salvation that you have already received in Christ, that is already settled in you, the eternal salvation, it's already yours. But in order for people around you to see the impact of that salvation inside, follow them with holiness. Follow them with peace so that they can feel the impact of your salvation. He's not talking about seeing God. He's talking about the people around you seeing the realities of what has been done. That's the way it is properly explained in the text. But because of misinterpretation, the denomination has made it look like it is what a man does 
that will qualify him to see God. And thereby rendering useless the work of redemption. Because if man can qualify by his behavior to see God, there's no need for Jesus to die. Then the death of Jesus is useless since I can qualify. But you see, man cannot qualify. In the best of your morality, you are like a filthy rag. You know what filthy rag is? Filthy rag is menstrual cloth. The cloth women use during their period with the dirty blood. That's menstrual. That's filthy rag. What the Bible is saying is that your good morality before God smells. You can't qualify. Relax. Somebody has qualified for you. His name is Jesus. Oh, glory to God. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Faith in Christ alone qualifies you for heaven. Did you hear what I said? That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have have everlasting life. Everlasting life is on the premise of what Christ has done that you believe. Not morality. There was a guy called a rich young ruler. Now for you to be a rich young ruler and a Pharisee, because that guy was a Pharisee in the book of Mark chapter 10. It means you must have memorized the Torah by heart. The Torah. And it means you must have lived moral, very morally, because all of them Pharisees were keepers of the law of Moses strictly. But the Bible says he saw Jesus. The guy was a moralist. The guy was a nice guy. No evil records around him. And he knows the Torah. What else does a man need after that? By, by, by religion, you're already in heaven. But he saw Jesus and he ran to Jesus. He said, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Uh-uh. With all of your morality, you don't have eternal life. Yes, because morality is not equivalent to eternal life. Jesus said to him, you know the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill thou shalt. He said to Jesus, don't insult me. Don't insult me. I'm a Pharisee. From my youth, I have kept all the Ten Commandments. And the Bible says Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said, you have kept everything. But one thing you lack. And under the law, if you break one, you break all. One thing you lack. Go. Sell. He had greed. He had greed. So Jesus touches greed. Go sell all that you have. Give to the poor. Take your cross. Come, let's go. The man got angry and walked away. And Jesus said, how hard it is for those that trust in riches. So his problem was that he had more trust in riches than faith in Christ. Are you following? And that disqualified him. The point is you cannot qualify no matter how good you are. Your good works don't qualify. Yes, you need to do good works. Yes, you need to live morally upright so that you can enjoy your stay in a bomb. So that government will not arrest you. So you will not go to prison. So that you can enjoy relationship with people. Good works are good for this earth. But you can't score points with God by good works. You can't score points with God by good behavior. Your good behavior is not good enough. 
Only what Christ has done has caught points with God. That's why even before Jesus did anything, the heavens opened and the voice came out of heaven. This is my beloved son in whom Jesus gives the father pleasure even without doing anything. So the day you receive Christ into your heart, you become the pleasure of the father. Oh, glory to God. The father will look down and say, oh, this is my beloved son because as many as receive him, to them gave him power to become the sons of God. They that receive Jesus. Until you receive Jesus, your morality is useless. It is Christ in you that guarantees eternal life. Are you in the building? Alright, let me push a little more. Look at your Bibles. Let's read a few scriptures here. But before we read, follow me. Wrong interpretation of the Bible text is the reason for erroneous beliefs and practices by believers on the subject of salvation. Erroneous beliefs and practices by believers on the subject of salvation. The onus, therefore, is on the minister of the gospel to ensure that he presents the scriptures in its exactness to believers and not lead his audience into error or lead them astray. Paul said this much to Timothy in 1st Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. 1st Timothy chapter 4 verse number 16. 1st Timothy chapter 4 verse 16. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Take heed unto yourself and unto the doctrine. A minister who cares for the flock is one who is diligent with his study of the scriptures. This is so vital because the spiritual growth of every believer, the spiritual growth of every believer is premised on having precise and accurate understanding of what God has accomplished for us in Christ Jesus. Philemon chapter 1 verse 6. Look at the way brother Paul will write it. Philemon. That the communication, Philemon 1.6, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you because you are in Christ Jesus. Notice that Paul had earlier spoken about Philemon's faith in the Lord. This is similar to what he wrote in his letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. Pay attention. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. I heard of it. Meaning you already have it. Colossians chapter 1 verse 4. Colossians chapter 1 verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. You have faith, you have love. In essence, Paul implied in his letter to Philemon that the degree to which the believer understands his salvation, which is the every good thing that is in him in Christ, is the degree to which he or she will have an effective Christian life. The degree to which a believer understands his or her salvation is the degree to which he or she will have an effective Christian life. So, 
The understanding of the subject of salvation is fundamental. 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 The celebrated radio presenter, Michael Bush is here. He kept asking me, what is the big deal about salvation? What is this big deal about salvation? In all the radio interviews we did together. And I said to him, to start with, there will be no Christianity without salvation. The fulcrum, the fundamental, the core, the very essence of Christianity is the salvation in Christ. If there's no salvation in Christ, Christianity is useless. There will be no need for it. It will be like any other religion where you can attain righteousness by good works. You can even be a religion to yourself. Yes? You can be a religion to yourself. Just make yourself a good guy. You become a model for other people. What makes Christianity Christianity is the salvation that Christ offered. Because Christianity is the only faith on the blue marble planet where the worshipped lives on the inside of the worshipper. All other faith is man trying to get to God. Christianity is the only faith where our God has come to us. Our God didn't wait for us to come to him because we can't get to him. So he came to us in human form. Glory to God. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh. And dwelt where? Our God lives among us. It's called identification. It's called identification. He lives on our inside. He lives among us. Are you still in the building? So in essence, Brother Paul implied to his letter to Philemon that the degree to which the believer understands his salvation is the degree to which his Christian life will be effective. So the understanding of the subject of salvation is fundamental, fundamental to the spiritual growth of the believer. If you don't understand salvation, you will never grow spiritually. Never. Never. You can be in church for 50 years. You don't know anything. You can be a Christian and die without knowing nothing. Once there is a problem with your understanding of salvation, there's a problem with your Christian life. That is why I do not listen to any preacher of the gospel. I've been saying this for years. I do not listen to any preacher of the gospel on any subject until I find out what he has to say about salvation. A preacher that does not understand salvation in Christ through faith does not know anything. It's like saying you are a university graduate and you cannot read A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. How did you get there? The fundamental, the basic, the basics of Christianity is salvation. So, if you don't understand salvation, you can't grow spiritually. Spiritual growth will be on the premise or the parameters of the understanding of salvation. Brother Peter also writes and admonishes the believer in his second epistle. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 18. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The lack of this knowledge can hinder the believer's effectiveness and consequently his spiritual growth. Little wonder brother Paul in all of his letters to the different churches prayed for believers and stated 
that they will come to knowledge. For example, look at Ephesians 1.17. Ephesians 1.17-19. to Look at the prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in, in the knowledge of him. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3 verse number 14. For this cause I bow my knees under the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 15. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. 16. That he will grant you according to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. 17. 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. 18. 18 may be able to comprehend with all things what is the breadth and length and depth and height 19 and to know to ginosko to know to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge and on that knowledge you'll be filled with all the fullness of God you'll be filled with all the fullness of God when you come to that place of ginosko that place of ginosko careful attention to the acquisition of the knowledge of your realities in Christ Jesus. You come to a place of fullness. The fullness of all that Christ has provided. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. See the prayer brother Paul prayed for the church at Philippi. Philippians 1 9 and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more where? In knowledge and in all judgment. Knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Next verse. Next verse. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good word now observe and increasing in the knowledge of God knowledge, knowledge, knowledge Philemon 1.6 that the communication of your faith may become effectual how? by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ so the importance of the believer having precise understanding epignosis Accurate, precise, exact knowledge, comprehensive insight of every good thing, which is the salvation that is in Christ, cannot be overemphasized. It produces growth and makes the believer effective in his Christian walk. That knowledge makes you an effective believer in your Christian walk. If you're in the building, shout a powerful amen. amen. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2. Hebrews Chapter 2, we're laying foundation for the 30 days. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Next verse. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Look at the emotion. So great salvation. Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard us. So it appears there are two things. There are words spoken by angels, which is the law, the law of Moses, Galatians 3.19. It was added because of transgression 
in the hands of a mediator by the hand of the angel. Alright? So the angels gave the law. And in the law, there's no escape. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, leg for leg. Jesus brought salvation, which is our escape from the law. So if we reject the salvation that came from Jesus, how shall we escape the law and its consequences? Which means there is no salvation in the law. Salvation is in Christ. To escape the law and the judgment of the law, you must accept the salvation that Christ brought. So salvation comes from Christ. That's what the writer of Hebrews was communicating to the Jews. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now, take note of this, that it is the will of God for everybody to be saved. First Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. First Timothy chapter 2 verse number 4. Who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. It's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to come to the knowledge of the truth. So in the study of scriptures, a man must see the Christocentricity of the Bible. The Christocentricity of the Bible. In Luke chapter 24, verse 25, 26, 27, on the way to Emmaus, Jesus met the two disciples and they were discussing about the events of the past three days, death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus said to them, what are you guys discussing? And they said to Jesus, are you a visitor in town? Have you not heard about Jesus, a good guy that was killed the other day? We, thought, we know he's a prophet. We thought he would have delivered Israel. They didn't even know who Jesus was. After spending many years with Jesus, eating and touching him, they didn't know who he was. You can be in church all your life and never know Christ. You can be a pastor, but you don't even know who Jesus is. But you know keys to success. You know steps to favor. You know parameters for COVID-19 escape. But you don't know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. You can know all the keys to successful marriage, but you don't know Jesus. You know, you don't have to be a Christian to have a good marriage. You just need a good head on your neck. They knew everything, but they didn't know Jesus. And they were even preaching Jesus to Jesus, but didn't know Jesus. Yes, they were preaching Jesus to Jesus. On the way, they said to Jesus, are you a stranger? Have you not heard about Jesus? And they were talking to Jesus. That somebody is praying in Jesus' name doesn't mean he knows Jesus. <laughs> that somebody is praying in the name of Jesus doesn't mean he knows Jesus. You can be praying in that name with the loudest voice, but you don't even know him. Very sober. Very sobering. To know that somebody can be in church. Somebody can even be a bishop. A pope. Somebody can even be anything. Doesn't know Christ. So it's critical to come to this understanding that the Bible is the book of Jesus. So Jesus turned to them and he said to them, oh fools, he called them fools. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets, all that the prophets, because if you have been reading the Old Testament, you will have known that this is what the prophets spoke, but you read without paying attention. All that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? beginning at Moses and all the prophets. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
The Bible is the book of Jesus. If you read and you don't see Jesus, you didn't read. If you really read well, you will see him everywhere. He expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So you must see the Christocentricity of the Bible. Because the Bible is a Christocentric material that carries with it a Christocentric message. A Christ-centered. And that is the link through the ages. Between Moses and the prophets, their link is Christ. Between Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, their link is Christ. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Next verse. Have in these last days spoken unto us in his son. That's the way it is in the original. In his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So, the way it will sound like is like God used to speak in diverse manners, which is not the way it is in the original. So, in the last days, God now spoke through his son. That's not the way it is. A closer study of the book of Hebrews will debunk that understanding because the book of Hebrews makes you to understand that the manners, diverse manners and ages with which God spoke, those manners are partial revelation. Partial revelations of Christ. So the message never changed. But the mode of receiving the message changed over the years. At sundry times and in diverse manners, the prophets spoke to the fathers. So the diverse manners were the prophets mode of communication. So the speaking was by the prophets. And the way they said it was in diverse manners. The things they spoke about concerning Christ. This is why Jesus went from Moses and all the prophets. And expounded the word diharmonia in the Greek. He interpreted unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They spoke in diverse manners because their mode of receiving the message... And their mode of disseminating the message is impartial revelation. But in Christ Jesus, God's purpose, God's intent, God's idea, God's mindset, you know, God's architecture, God's design, God's plan, God's program was made manifest in the person of Christ. So Jesus is called the word. Not because he was speaking for God. Jesus was not speaking for God like a messenger. Jesus is God speaking for himself. Jesus is God speaking for himself. The prophet spoke for him. When he showed up, being the word in their mouth, he took off flesh and spoke for himself. I am the way. I am the truth. I am. I don't have. The, I am the embodiment of the way. I am the embodiment of the truth. I am the embodiment of the life. So when he enters your heart, life has entered. He that has the son has life. You can't have Christ and die. The day you receive Christ, you passed from death to life. You have eternal life. You are saved forever. You will never, never be lost. Jesus said, all that the Father has given to me, none is lost. He said, I have a commandment from my Father 
that anybody that enters my hand, I cannot lose him. Are you the one keeping Jesus or Jesus is keeping you? He said, I have a commanded commandment from my father. Never to lose anybody that the father has given to me. So that's why Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. My father that gave you to me is greater than all. And none can pluck you out of my father's hands. Hebrews 7.25 He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him by faith. Seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Romans 8.31 Who shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? He said neither life, nor death, nor principality, nor power, nor persecution, nor nakedness, nor sword, nor peril, nor things present, nor things to come. He says yea, I am persuaded that nothing in this world and nothing in the life to come shall be able to separate you from the love of God which is where? In Christ. Once you enter Christ, you have entered. Hey. Somebody say, what if I change my mind? You can't change your mind. The moment you enter Christ, he collects your mind. He gives you his mind. It is no longer I that lives, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live by faith, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Stand on your feet. That's all I've got for you in this service. Glory to God. Glory to God. Lift your right hand and shout, I am saved by Jesus. Eternally saved. Kept, secured, protected, preserved by Jesus himself. Now shout it very loud. Salvation is of the Lord. I didn't hear a powerful amen. From tomorrow evening, I will begin to move into the legality and the vitality. I'm still laying some foundation. I'm still laying some foundation. Because the depth of the foundation will determine the height of the building. And since we are going for 30 days, we have to dig a bit deeper in the foundation. Somebody shout, I hear you. It's very important. Thank you, Father. Lift your right hands to heaven. Father, I pray for everybody. In this building, online, in our house churches, campuses all over the world, everyone connected to this service, that this glorious light of the gospel of Christ this glorious light of the good news of what Christ has done for us in his death, burial, and resurrection will rise big in the hearts of your people until nothing else matters. I decree that veils fall off, barriers terminated, guilt and condemnation taken away, fear terminated. In the name of Jesus, I decree that the confidence of righteousness comes alive. We rebuke sickness, we rebuke disease, every oppression of the devil out in the name of Jesus. I decree that the favor of God is released upon you. Lakota, Makele, Nakota, Negara, Tokoska. Throughout the month of July, I declare that you will come into depths of understanding concerning the person of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Great grace is upon you. Great grace is upon you. Great grace is upon you. Grace and peace is multiplied unto you. Grace and peace is multiplied unto you. In the name of Jesus. And you will see the goodness of God and enjoy the goodness of God in the land of the living. Thank you, Father, for answered prayer. In Jesus' precious name. And every believer says that amen on a note of finality. Praise God forevermore. Now listen very carefully. All of you online, all of you on radio, 
television. I'm going to round up this segment in another five minutes. Then we will switch to the other segment where we will now interact, answer questions, bring clarity to naughty scriptures, and clear all the doubts in your mind concerning certain things you have heard before about salvation and Christianity that you don't understand. That's the whole essence of 30 days. So that by the end you are established in your understanding of Christ. I told them on radio, this is not about coming to Power City. We're not looking for church members. We have left that level. This is about you and God having an active relationship so that what Jesus died for is not wasted. So you can enjoy everything that Jesus has done for you. Whether you belong to Power City or not. Power City is not heaven. Uh, Jesus didn't die for power city. He died for the whole world. We have a mandate to reach the whole world. Somebody shout, I hear you. So it's about you and God having an active, vibrant, living relationship so that together we can brighten our world and bring into manifestation all that the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ has provided. Now today is our partnership service. And I want to use the opportunity to thank all the partners around the world, every one of you in Power City who has given me money, supported us to put the program together. And those of you that are still supporting different aspects of the program, and those of you that will still do even today, I want to thank you. Thank you for believing in this vision. Thank you for believing in this house. Thank you for believing in my ministry. And thank you for honoring Jesus and his finished work. Today is our partnership service. Partnership is a service where people intentionally take out of their resources an amount of money to support this ministry every month. And I want to thank you partners. You are the reason why we are able to do this all over the world. Without you guys, we couldn't come this far. I want to thank you. And those of you who want to be partners today, I want to thank you also for willing to be a part of what God is doing. We have a mandate to reintroduce Jesus to this generation. Equipping believers to know who they are in Christ, what they have in Christ, and what Christ can do through them. I'm going to pray for the partnership, and the banking details are scrolling right now. If you want to partner with us, you know, today, the banking details are on the screen. And if where you're watching from, there's no banking details that's relevant to you, if you shoot a mail to me right now, we will send you bank accounts that are relevant to your location anywhere in the world. The email is Damina at yahoo.com. Dot com. Dr. Abel Damina, one word, at yahoo.com. We will answer you immediately. But I want to pray for all partners, and I want to pray for people that are supporting us financially through the 30 days of glory. And I want to pray for our offerings and our kingdom investments. So let's get out all our offerings. We're going to just take one offering, all, everything one time. All our offerings, kingdom investments. Those of you in the house centers and campuses, grab yours to get it out. I want to pray for everybody at the same time as we give and honor what Christ has done. We give generously. We give intentionally. We give joyfully. We give cheerfully. There is no hard rule. Just the way you propose in your heart. You just give joyfully. God loves you before you give him anything. It's not your giving that makes God love you. Whether you give or not, he has loved you. But when you understand this love for you, you respond to his love with your givings. I'd like you to lift it up on TV everywhere. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to give. I want to pray for partners and kingdom investors today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to honor you and honor what Jesus has done and be responsible towards our collective responsibility of preaching the gospel to every creature. And as we give today, we give with joy. We give with hearts that are full of gratitude. And we thank you that our offerings rise before you a sweet smell, an offering acceptable. I want to pray for everybody giving an offering, a kingdom investment. 
Lord, I pray that each one of them, their needs are met according to your riches in glory. And I pray for partners that God is able to make all grace abound towards every partner of this ministry. You will always have sufficiency in all things. You abound unto every good work. You lack nothing. I decree that you have ideas, concepts, insights, relationships, and the favor of God. You have direction and you know what to do in the name of Jesus. And we rebuke the devil's hands off your finances and business in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for grace. Thank you for the blessing and the opportunity to honor Jesus today through our givings and our commitments to this ministry. In Jesus' precious name. And every believer says a powerful amen. Thank you again for giving and thank you for honoring Christ. Like I said, don't switch off your TV. Don't switch off your radio. Don't go off air online. All of you online, stay with us. We have another, another there about an hour there about to answer your questions, interact with you. We're going to open phone lines in the next segment. You can call in. It's going to be a wonderful time of interaction. It's going to be like that throughout the 30 days of glory. We love you guys. We are so excited. And uh, in the next few minutes, you will connect with us. Don't go off. We'll still be on. You know, they're just going to, you know, transition you to the next segment. And while that is going on, you can give in all your offerings. But we love you guys. Stay with us in another two, three minutes. You will see us again talking about questions, answers. And I'm so glad to have Mr. Michael Bush, you know, joining me in the next segment. Can we celebrate him in the next segment? And uh, Pastor Ignatius Equerry, we're going to do the job together. You know, and numbers will be given for you to email your questions and text in your questions and all that. It's going to be a wonderful time. Are you blessed this morning? Can we give the Lord the greatest shout and celebration in this service? Glory, 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 glory. Somebody shout a powerful this amen. This is forever. This is forever. This is Never seen love like this, love so great, rescued me. You paid the price for me, cared for me, set me free. We've been made alive, thanks to Jesus who gave his life. Nothing can be like it, no one can do more than that. You gave me power to spread the fragrance of your grace. I am alive and not the same, now and forever I'm saved. This is Nothing. 
seen love like this, love so great, you rescued me. You paid the price for me, cared for me, set me free. We've been made alive, thanks to Jesus who gave his life. Nothing can be like it, no one can do more than that. You gave me power to spread the fragrance of your grace. I am alive and not the same, now and forever I'm saved. This is super excited to be here. My name is Michael Bush. I consider it a special honor to be invited to do this with this um, wonderful seven-star God's general, Dr. Abel Damina. It's part two. It's the second part of um, 30 Days of Glory. It's the opening day. And for all of 30 days, um, running from today up until the 2nd of August, this is what is going to be happening. He will take one hour to set the stage, and then we'll come backstage to field your question. Papa, yes. so, so excited that um, finally, the 5th of July is here, finally and 30 days of glory is on. Finally, we're here. I'm excited. Good to have you here. Absolutely. You it's, it's better for me, Papa. I'm, I'm so super excited that um, I'm here. Okay. Um, we launch. I, while I'm waiting for your questions, I'll, I'll put my own. And then um, when yours come, also remember, would be the, a time to call um, as we progress. So, Papa, um, it would seem to me, just sitting there listening to you or watching you, because I also had the opportunity to see you do this, that um, the main thing, the main drive is salvation. That salvation is at the center of 30 Days of Glory, um, if you like, of uh, Power City International, and indeed of all of um, Christendom. Yes. But I'm wondering that on the day you were laying the foundation, you spent so much time. In fact, you spent all the time talking about diligence. Yes. Why? What has diligence to do with salvation? Diligence, like we read from 2 Timothy 2.15. Brother Paul says to Timothy, study. The word study is podazo, which means diligence, to show yourself approved. You cannot approach the text of the Bible without diligence. It takes diligence to study, diligence to stay in the word, diligence to come to a conclusion of what the message of the scriptures is. If you lack that diligence, you will keep beating about the bush and never really arrive at the main substance of Christianity. So, um, are we to get away, those who listened to you across the world, those who um, watched you across the world, are we therefore to get away with the impression that you are focusing on this because um, diligence uh, is not enough, that um, Christians lack diligence? Yes, a great deal. Many Christians don't have diligence and many have not been trained to be diligent with the scriptures. Somebody goes to the university to read simple architecture, designing houses. He spends four years. He's in class every day for hours. And at the end of each semester, he writes exams. 
If it doesn't pass, he carries forward. That's the diligence. He goes through primary school, secondary school. Then he goes through the university. Finally graduates and then begins to design houses for people. That's just house. Christianity, which is your relationship with God, a lot of believers don't have any form of diligence. They wake up and just open the Bible casually, you know, just read wherever they feel like. And some don't even read their Bible once a week. And they want to have a vibrant relationship with God. How is that possible? It makes no sense. It's like saying a medical doctor just went to primary school and gets a building and puts a medical center for people to come for him to treat them. Nobody will go there because that guy has failed the test of diligence. Same thing with Christianity. A believer who believes in Jesus and believes that he has to relate with God effectively, not by trial and error, but by precision and accuracy, must give himself to diligence where the word of God is concerned. Fantastic. As I sat there, um, I also imagined the quantum, the depth, the quality of, uh, of studying you would have done to be able to put out this excellent knowledge. But you know, the, the way our world is wired as we speak, people are always going to leave the substance and focus on the chaff. There are people, perhaps a tiny minority of Thomases, who are wondering, how am I even sure this vast knowledge that is showing us is the truth? Well, anybody who has that issue has not even believed in God. So that's where the problem is. Because if you believe in God, which is Jesus, then you know that the only book in the entire world that reveals God is the Bible. That's the only book. There's no other book anywhere else. And if the Bible is a book that holds within the revelation of who God is in Christ, then a study of the Bible becomes paramount. Now, everything I taught was from the Bible. I told no personal stories. I shared no personal experiences. I gave no personal testimonies. I made no personal references. It was scripture interpreting scripture because the Bible is a contextual material. And if you followed very carefully and went through the scriptures with me, it's very clear and very easy to know that this is the word of God. Excellent. My last question for now, before I take um, other questions coming from all over the world, I would focus on something you call incidences, which is the act of imposing, um, you know, for instance, a pastor imposing his own personal opinion on, on, on the Bible. Yes. And I'm wondering, how would Christians, um, especially in an unreading generation, decipher, how would they determine, how would they know when a pastor is guilty of incidences? That's one. Two, what should such a Christian do going forward? Well, a man of God said, going to church without a copy of your Bible sets you up for deception. So when a pastor is reading the Bible and teaching, as a believer who is very serious, you owe yourself the responsibility of grabbing your own Bible. And as he's reading, you're reading your own Bible and checking what he's saying. And if he doesn't agree with what is in the Bible, you discard what he's saying. Because I said the other day on radio, when the words of your pastor become superior to the words of the Bible, you are in idol worship. When the words of your pastor become superior to the word of God, you are in idol worship. It means you are worshipping that pastor. You are not worshipping God because every pastor's words are supposed to be in agreement with the written word of God. Okay, uh, let's move around the world quickly, quickly, and take some questions as they come in. Carl Brooks has written, it doesn't say from where, but it says, I've got a question, Dr. Abel Damina. What is the doctrinal stance on homosexuality? Are feelings of same-sex attraction unnatural? Would God 
honor, same-sex relationship and marriage? Finally, what should a child of God do when they realize they have no feelings for the opposite sex, but for people of own sex? I'll well, really be happy if this question is addressed. It has been on my mind for so long. Carl Brooks. Well, first of all, you must understand that sin is sin. We don't classify sin. Homosexuality is in the same class with lies, stealing, arm robbery. They're all in the same class. Sin is sin. Now, the problem is most times people like to classify sin. But in the sight of God, there is no classification. God loves the sinner. God loves the world. But God hates the sin. He loves the sinner, but not the sin. So what did God do about the sin? Does God tolerate sin? No. Does God pamper sin? No. Does God overlook sin? No. So what does God do to sin? He punishes it. How does he punish sin? He punishes sin on himself. He punishes it on himself. Whether it is homosexuality, you know, whatever it is, he punishes it on himself. That's why Jesus is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. So what does God do to a homosexual? The same gospel of salvation is the same gospel that goes to a homosexual, that goes to a liar, that goes to a thief. And if the homosexual believes the message, he is saved. Now after he is saved, he undergoes a renewing of his mind. When his mind is renewed, his feelings will change. Once his mind is renewed, his feelings will change. So, it's the same approach. Give him the gospel, expose him to the love of God, expose him to the love of Christ, and let him begin to feed on Christ. The Bible says, we all with open face, beholding the glory of God as in a mirror, we are changed into that same image, from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of God. So, the, the man, the homosexual can't change himself. It will take him allowing the spirit of God through the teaching of God's word to bring the change that he desires to be the person God wants him to be. What then do we say about pastors who are also homosexuals or who even join these um, homosexuals in marriage? They are victims of identity crisis. Anybody who gives himself, the Bible in Romans chapter 1 says, they have given themselves to that which is against nature. However, it is because of identity crisis. They don't know who they are. So since they don't know who they are, they are doing the things that are contrary to who they are. So what do we do with them? We bring them face to face with the mirror. Let them look into the mirror and see who they are. What is the mirror? The word of God. When they begin to look into the mirror, a revelation of their true identity will come to the fore. You know, Jesus said to Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're Isaiah. He said, but who do you say that I am? And they, for the first time, they discovered they didn't know who Jesus was. Eventually, Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say? Blessed are thou Simon Bajona. You used to be called Simon Bajona, but from now, you are Peter. That means you were wearing a label that was not yours. You were answering an identity that was not yours. But now that you have seen who I am, in the revelation of who I am, you are revealed. When people see Christ, in Christ they see themselves. When you see yourself in Christ, the crisis goes. Suddenly, you are face to face with your reality. Okay, we'll move from Carl Brooks to Elijah Kiyoko. Doesn't again say where he's writing from. 
Um, since my question, Dr. Abel Damina, is, does a man have his own spirit apart from the Holy Spirit? In Kenya, there's a teaching, okay, perhaps writing from Kenya, um, that man is a spirit that lives in a soul and is housed by the body. Yes. And that once man is born again, it is only his spirit that is born again, not his soul, nor his body. Is this right? Does this mean that a Christian has two spirits dwelling in him, that is the Holy Spirit and his own spirit? This teaching suggests that since God is a spirit and man was created in God's image, then man is a spirit too. Is this true? In Romans 8, 16, it says, The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If man does not have his own spirit, then what does this verse mean? Elijah Kyoko in Kenya. Man, is a, man has a spirit, and when he's not born again, that spirit is dead. But the day he receives Christ, the spirit of God comes into his spirit and brings him back to life. And in that resurrection, a union happens between that man and the spirit of God, where he becomes one with the Lord. 1 Corinthians six seventeen. From that moment, his spirit and the spirit of God united together in a union that cannot be separated. That's what happens. But before he is born again, his spirit is dead. But when he receives Christ, the spirit of God goes into him and quickens him. And in that quickening, a union takes place. That's how it happens. What happens, therefore, to other the people soul, in other religions? Okay, in other religions. In other religions who are not Christians, who don't know Jesus. If a man doesn't know Jesus, the Bible teaches that he's not saved. There is no salvation, Acts 4.12. There is no salvation in any other. There is no name under heaven whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. So if a man has not received Christ, he is not yet born again. He is not yet saved. It is in receiving Christ. And receiving Christ means receiving the finished work. Receiving that Christ died on your behalf. He was buried on your behalf. He rose on your behalf. It's substitutionary sacrifice, which means by identification that when Jesus died, you died. When he was buried, you were buried. When he rose, you rose. When he ascended, you ascended. Where he's glorified, you're glorified. So you and Christ are seated together. That is what salvation is. So until a man receives Christ and his finished work, that man is not saved. I thought Christ and receiving Christ and salvation and all of that, I thought it was for just Christianity. What happens to those who are, for instance, in Islam, in Judaism? What happens to them? John 3, 16. For God so loved the entire world that he gave his only begotten son. So Jesus did not die for Christians. Jesus died for the world. Therefore, the world must come to the knowledge of Christ. Let me shock you. In Quran, in the Quran, the Muslims believe in the Quran that Jesus will judge the world. They do. It's in the Quran. That Jesus will judge the world. So if the Quran says Jesus will judge the world, Shouldn't you rather be on the side of the one that will judge the world? Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, we move on. There is Gamo Mayor writing. Again, it doesn't say where he's writing from. We would like to ask the people backstage. Just make sure we know where these people are writing from. It says, um, Dr. Ebel Damina, why is it that some Christian denominations, uh, prophets and his congregation do not take the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ as communion, as suggested by him, as stipulated in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. 1 Corinthians 11, 24 to 25. Matthew, it goes on and on. Please, I want in-depth knowledge on this. Today, we can't give you in-depth knowledge, but I'll refer you to my teachings on discerning the lost body, part one and two, discerning the lost body. But there are a few things I'd like to call your attention to. First of all, breaking bread is not communion. There is nowhere in the Bible where you have holy communion. It's not in the Bible. It's not there in the entire Bible. Nothing like holy communion in the Bible. However, it's important for you to know what the Christians call the holy communion in the Bible is what is called the Passover. The Passover was a Jewish feast that predated Jesus. It was a Jewish feast. Just like you have the feast of trumpets, you have the feast of the Passover, you have the feast of the unliving bread, and you have the feast of Pentecost. They were all Jewish feasts. But Moses gave them those feasts as a way of his teaching ministry to point them to Jesus. So the Passover continued till Jesus came. But in the book of Luke, when Jesus did the Passover, the last Passover on the Mount of Olives, he told his disciples, you will no more eat this with me until that day in my father's kingdom. What he was saying is that this thing we are doing now, the reality of it will be after my resurrection because the Passover was a pointer to the death, burial, and resurrection. And when Jesus rose from the dead, the Bible says he became our Passover. Christ, our Passover, is crucified for us. So the moment you receive Christ and you begin to hear the, the teaching of God's word, when you are hearing the teaching of God's word, you are eating the body and drinking the blood. It is no more articles. It is no more bread and wine. It is now a person. The person of Christ today is the Passover in the heart of the believer. But when you get that the teaching, it's about two, three hours of teaching. It will bring all that clarity to you. If you shoot an email to our office, they will tell you how to go about the teaching on discerning the lost body. And proper exegesis is given in that teaching. Yeah, I remember while you were teaching, you also said something about the email address, Dr. Ebeldamina at yahoo.com. Yes. I was wondering, that doctor, is that D-R-O? Yes, D-R-A-B-E-L-D-A-M-I-N-A at yahoo.com. Just to point that out, and then also quickly, any moment now, as a matter of fact, I think in the next five, six, seven minutes, Max, we're going to have the number or two on your screen so they can actually call in. I also would like the backstage people to give me the numbers to put out so that our radio audience can also call in That's if they would. Innocent Nkube is the last message I'll take um, from this side of the divide, and that is, uh, it says, uh, Papa, why do you say God never killed in the Old Testament? I don't know whether you said that, but he's yes. saying, why do people say that? Why do you say the use of anointing oil does not apply now because we, we see the use of it working for people? Well, first of all, that something works doesn't mean it is right. You go to native doctors, they give you a charm, it works. That doesn't make it right. So that something works is not the validation for what is right. So let's get that out of the way. Now, why did I say God does not kill? Because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is not junior God. Jesus is not God's errand boy. Jesus is not God's messenger. Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was God who became a man. God who became a man. So whatever Jesus did is what God does. 
Whatever Jesus does not do, God does not do. Jesus never killed anybody. Rather, he gave life to the dead. Jesus never destroyed anybody. Rather, he gave life to those that were being destroyed. Jesus emphatically said, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I am come that you may have life. And don't forget, Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. If he never killed in the incarnation, it means he never killed in the Old Testament. And it means he will never kill. That's why the Bible says, the last enemy of God that will be destroyed is death. So death is God's enemy. God does not do business with his enemy. God does not do business with his enemy. So God never killed anybody and God does not kill. But remember, death is the absence of life. Just like darkness is the absence of light. God is life. God is light. So when God is absent, what takes effect is death. God doesn't kill, but when God is absent, the resultant effect of God being absent is what we call death. God gives life. I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You're just joining us. It's um, part two of the opening day of 30 days of glory and my, my, my. What knowledge. So, so, so many questions from across the world. I don't know. We just have done perhaps uh, half hour. still have 30 minutes to go. I don't know how we squeeze this in. But remember, if we don't trip your questions today, then we'll carry them over to tomorrow. That's right. Okay. Um, again, I have this one. doesn't say who is writing in. I always love to have um, messages with names. This one says, thank you, Papa, for revealing Christ to us. When was hell, that's lake of fire, created? Was it before or after the fall of man? Or could it be that it was sin that gave birth to hell, just like sin gave birth to death? Hell was created with the fall of man. But remember, nothing takes God by surprise. God already ahead of time saw everything that was going to happen. He sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. God does not react. So God already had all of that in his plan ahead of time. But when man sinned, it took effect. Okay, um, I'm trying to uh, pick up the numbers for you, um, plus two, three, four, in case you're calling from outside the country. 0806-800-9939, I hope so. I'm just trying to pick it from the screen. 0806-800-9939. So you can, um, it's plus two, three, four, if you're calling from outside the country. And um, SMS is also possible. Send it to our back room now. Excuse me, 0708-501-4748. Plus 234 always. Papa, this Ackman in Uyo says, Papa, was salvation a plan B? And he goes on. What message was the story of the fig tree communicating, seeing that God does not kill? Interesting question. Salvation is not plan B. Salvation is actually the plan, is the plan A. Because God does not react. For God to react will mean something to God by surprise. Therefore, it wouldn't be God. So God doesn't react. God proacts. So that's why Titus chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 says, God promised life before the foundation of the world. Revelation tells us Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. So before the fall of man, before the sin of Adam, the message was the life of God. That's why in the Garden of Eden, in Moses' vision, he saw the tree of life. 
The tree of life there is the gospel of the life of God in Christ Jesus. So, the life of God was the gospel before the fall of man. Therefore, salvation was the plan from the beginning of time because salvation is God's life taking hold of a man. Now, since God does not kill, the book of Mark chapter 11 says Jesus caused the fig tree. It's a syntax problem. It's a translation issue. Jesus didn't cause the fig tree. If you read the original Greek lexicon, Jesus spoke to the tree. And after he spoke to the tree, he used that to teach the disciples how to use their words and exercise authority. Okay, I'm told that uh, we can start taking calls, so I wait for the first caller. Is that caller on the line? Hello. Hello. Many thanks. Welcome to our program. Your name, where are you calling from? Um, I'm Reverend Ajala. Reverend Ajala. Yes, Reverend. We can't get for the life of Papa and for the teaching ministry in which the whole world is born, and I know we are being transformed. I want to ask, is it compulsory that we put on title for our names in Christ Jesus? Can't we just bless you for that for example? Bless Samuel Ajala, the general of the physical church. It can be your honest or concert. The sixth defender general of the new church. Why the title prefers Isaiah? And some people are pushing it up. Why are we conscious of fighting? The apostles what are the title they bear. And what will it be in this perfect generation? Number two, sir. We have understood your teaching on blessing of children and the blessings we have in Christ. Uh, you once said that Abraham was not blessed in terms of a material thing. I want clarification because of the blessing that we have in terms of statues and so on and so forth, the physical riches. And thirdly, sir, I wish to ask clarification on this issue of cross that we used to put in the church. If cross is not good, is the church dead? And if cross is dead, what is not another symbol of crossing of an idol? We bless God for your life and the ministry. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Reverend, thank you. I'll just uh, hand you over to Papa because I, I don't know, I picked, I, I didn't um, really pick uh, yeah, it, up everything it, it he said. It wasn't yes. too clear, but yeah, I sure. think the first thing he was asking sure. of was title. Yes, title. Do yes. we have to use titles? Mm-hmm. Well, in Bible teaching, there is what we call essentials, and there's what we call non-essentials. It's like saying, must you wear white cloth? Should you wear blue cloth? Should you eat rice? Why don't you add beans? Should you eat beans? Why don't you put stew in your, your beans? It's a non-essential. God doesn't tell you what cloth to wear, what color of cloth, what style of cloth. They are non-essentials. They don't affect salvation. So using a title, not using a title, does not affect salvation at all. If you like, you can answer brother. If you like, you can answer reverend. If you like, you can answer pastor. It changes nothing. What matters is the message. What matters is the message. You know, and there are some people that are very, very sensitive towards title. And you have to understand people. 
And if people like to be given titles and they, are, they have titles and they like to be called, address them. It changes nothing. All things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. So titles don't make any difference. Whether you have them or not, as long as you have the message, that's what matters. That's what matters in the sight of God. Yeah, okay. I, I, I hear there's a caller that we can still quickly take. I think he talked about, um, I'm trying to remember now, he talked also about one of the teachings. Yes, but I didn't hear what, get he, what said. he said. Okay. So we, we, if you don't mind, Reverend, if you can email the questions, because we didn't hear everything sure. you said very well. But we heard there's another caller on the line. Hello. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Where are you calling us from? Your name? Are you there? Okay. Um, because of time and the lack of it, we're trying to squeeze in so much action. 0806-800-9939 plus 234 if you're doing that from outside Nigeria. the call line. And 0708-501-4746 SMS only. Remember, plus 234 if you're doing this from outside the country. Another call line is on the line. Good afternoon. Many thanks for joining us. Your name? Hello, you hearing me? Yes, we can yes. hear you. Your name, where you calling oh. from? Okay. Um, you said that um, in the first of one of the questions. Can you, you give us your name first? God. Your name first. Your name. God never sees. Oh, I would like to know who the children of uh, Egypt, most especially their firstborn, and uh, those that wanted that cross when Moses cross uh, the people of God through the Red Sea. The ones that uh, were drowned in the school. So I would also like to know what killed them also. And my second question is my second question is you say Jesus is the Son of God. But we understand that we also Christ is God. And why we understand that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? We would like to know if Jesus is God, who is the Father? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Um. I my my own my my job is very easy. That's right. Yes. My own is just to push it to Papa, <laughs> you know, and I just allow Papa on the firing line. That's All just right. my job. So the yes. question is, who killed the people in the Old Testament? Well, again, like I said, first of all, you must come face to face with the reality that Jesus is God. In the Old Testament, nobody saw God. John one eighteen. No man has seen God at any time. That will mean that in the Old Testament. God was communicated through prophecy and through the impressions of men. Now, there are two personalities you will not see clearly exposed in the Old Testament. You won't see Jesus revealed and you won't see Satan. Two of them are hidden in the Old Testament. So, in the Old Testament, when evil happens, since they didn't know Satan, they said it was God. When bad things happen, they attributed it to God. So, because of the misconception, that is why God became a man in the person of Jesus to come and clearly define who is behind who. For example, Jesus in 8, John 8, 44 said, he said, you are of your father the devil and the works of your father you will do. For he was a murderer from the beginning. And he was the murderer from the beginning. Then Jesus said in John 10, 10 the thief cometh not but for to steal. To kill. So from the beginning, Satan has been the one killing. Whether through men of God, through prophets, or through events. Satan has been the one killing. And Jesus has been the one giving life. 
Except you do not believe that Jesus is God. And if you don't believe that, then we don't have a basis for discussion. Because Jesus being God is not up for debate. That is our reality in Christianity. Jesus is God. Second question you asked was, um, um, who, who is the is father? The father if, if, yes. if Jesus, Jesus is the God. son. Yes. All right. That's what we call the great mystery of godliness. First Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That God was manifest. If God is God, he has the power to become anything he wants. So since he is God and he wants to save man, he loves man. Man has sinned. Man must die. And God is not an area boy. So God decided to bring himself into humanity. God came out of God. And God walked into the earth as a man. And died on behalf of man. So that in his love for man, he can save man. Now, I won't have the time to give you all the exegesis. But I have a teaching series on the misunderstood God. Misunderstood God is about 60 to 70 hours of teaching on the misunderstood God. If you are very sincere and very serious about your question, I will ask that you order for the teaching and spend time listening. However, from this eve, from tomorrow evening, 8 to 9 p.m. on Inspiration FM, 8 to 9 p.m., we will play that series for the next one month on the misunderstood God. I will encourage you, apart from following the evening service here, to follow that teaching, it will help. What if Evie is calling, as indeed was calling from outside our state? If you are calling from outside, send an email to Dr. Abel Damina at yahoo.com and we will reply you and tell you how to go about the material. Okay, sure. Um, I'm told there's another caller on the line. I think this should be the last caller we'll have on this edition. Hello. Hello, good afternoon, Papa. Afternoon. My name is Edidio Jem, calling from Oraikma District. Papa, we want to appreciate God for you, for the work you're doing. It's a great level. Actually, we're here in the house church. We have full house, and then we're listening. We're so blessed for the teaching, and we believe God that will be on for all time. We pray that God will keep you and strengthen you for us, and let the world hear God through you. Amen. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Papa. Thank you for all you do for the body of Christ. Thank you. Amen. Thank fantastic. You. I think that, that that's a good call, just yeah. to round off the call segment. That's right. Okay, fantastic that's prayer there. That's okay, right. Papa, just now, um, you talked about the... You, you reminded me of something you, you you talked about during the teaching, and that is the Christocentricity yeah. of, of, uh, of the scriptures. Yes. If the Bible is uh, Christ-centered, yes. everything in the Bible is about Christ, yes. What then happens to some people who say, oh no, leave the Old Testament? Or is that what you're trying to say? Because Christ, as you just said now, was never mentioned in the Old Testament. So this is it. The Old Testament is Jesus concealed. We call it mystery. You won't see J-E-S-U-S, but you see types of Jesus, shadows of Jesus, prophecies of Jesus, promises of Jesus that is now revealed in the, in the New. New Testament. So the New Testament reveals the Old Testament. The Old Testament conceals the New Testament. However, the Old Testament must be interpreted 
because of the types, shadows, metaphors, figures of speech to bring out the revelation of Jesus in the Old Testament. For example, the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is the story of Jesus. When he fell into the belly of the fish, three days, and on the third day, he was vomited. Mm -hmm. That was a prophetic drama that Jesus would go into the belly of the earth for three days and rise on the third day. Wow. But communicated in types and shadows. Wow. Wow. Never heard that before. Okay. Luis Mutabakumu. Uh, doesn't say where he's writing. He says, Dr. Abel Damina. I believe God is not a killer and Jesus never killed anyone when he was on earth. Now here is my question. Whose power was Samson using to kill the Philistines? He used the bone of an animal and killed many Philistines. Was it God's power or Satan's power at work? Again, he was a murderer from the beginning. Remember the Old Testament guys, people like Samson, people like David when they went to war and destroyed people. Remember somebody like David was the king of a nation. It's like America going to fight Afghanistan. Because they have more power, they have more money, because they have more technology, they will do justice in killing people there. So that's how it was in Bible days. Some of those wars and some of those fights you saw in Bible days, the people that won, it was just because they had the advantage and some of them had the enablement of the devil in their operation. For example, in Luke chapter 9, when the disciples of Jesus asked Jesus that should they command fire to come down and destroy Samaria, just like Elijah did, they made a reference to Elijah in the Old Testament. Jesus rebuked them. Now the word rebuke is, that is how demons are treated. That means Jesus treated them like demons and told them, you know not what spirit you are of. That means there are some killings in the Old Testament that were by the spirit of the devil. You know not what spirit you are of. Then Jesus added, for the son of man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So some of the killings in the Old Testament was Satan hiding in the shadows and using men to carry out his atrocities because Satan likes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. Even today, if a pastor does not understand the scriptures and he opens up himself over his congregation and begins to curse them and begins to speak words over his congregation because they don't know better, their heart is condemned. And those words will have effect over them because it will open a door to evil spirits to come into oppression. That's why the Bible says we are not ignorant of the devices of the devil. Fantastic. Good afternoon, Papa. Please explain 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 8 to 10, especially verse 8. Charity never fails, but whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether they be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Can tongues be seized, or will tongues be seized from a Bassinian Peter? Tongues will cease because right now we are speaking in tongues, but because of our limitation, we don't understand all that we speak except the Holy Ghost gives us interpretation. But the moment we drop this body and we are immortality, there will be no more tongues. It will be the language. Good afternoon, Doctor. <laughs> Fantastic. Good afternoon, Dr. Damina. I'm trying to squeeze in as many questions as I can, and I'd like to thank Papa for being just gracious and being spot on, very concise in his answers. Good afternoon, uh, Dr. Damina. My question is, why after being born again, studying the scriptures, praying, and even fasting, it is as if one's life retrogresses. 
Evil happens all around. I Capitals in Lagos, Nigeria. Evil doesn't happen because you are born again. Evil happens because you are a human being. It happens to good people, bad people, human beings. Evil happens within the activities of men. That's why the Bible says, no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. So because you are a man, that's why evil could happen. The Bible says, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted of evil. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And when lust has matured, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin is matured, it bringeth forth death. So because you are a human being, that's why evil happens. But as you grow in the knowledge of Christ, and you begin to understand who you are in Christ, what you have in Christ, and you spend enough time in the study of God's word, your authority in Christ comes to the fore. And you can begin to resist some things, stop the enemy, and begin to take authority and live the victorious life that is yours in Christ Jesus. The next entry is anonymous, doesn't say who is writing, doesn't tell me where from. But I'll take it all the same, says, good afternoon, Dr. Abel Damina. Evangels who are messengers or ministering spirits delivered the law. Who sent them? Whose message were they carrying at Horeb? Kindly clarify. And says also, after salvation, and as we continue to learn more of Christ, is it wrong for pastors to teach believers how to live a successful life? knowing that these things can have an impact on the quality of the lives of believers? Well, to deal with angels and the law, you will need to listen to my two kinds of righteousness. I think my two kinds of righteousness teaching did justice to, to that. That's going to be about 40 hours, 38, 40 hours. You will need all that to understand how angels were the ones that gave the law through Moses. But for a quick answer, Galatians 3, 17, 18, 19 will help you some more. Galatians 3, 17, 18, 19. All right, now, the next question he asked is... Um, um, was uh, I'll just get that in a moment now. was about um, salvation. Yes. If we continue to learn yes. more... Yes, is if you continue to live on earth, shouldn't pastors teach believers how to live, like business, marriage, and all that... First of all, your pastor has no certification to train you in business. He has no certification to train you in other areas of life. The only certification your pastor has is to teach you the Bible. And the teaching of the Bible can take you 30 lifetimes because the book is very deep. However, even if you are not a Christian, wouldn't you learn how to live well? You will. That's why you go to university. That's why you have mentors in business. You have mentors in your profession. And you have an understanding of secular rules for operating business. So let your pastor stay with his teaching of God's word so you can grow and mature and be the kind of believer that will do the work of the ministry. All other concerns, look for people in that field outside your pastor who will help you to excel. Go to school, go for courses, online courses, expose yourself to things in your career that will help you specialize with a certification. So that you are not just learning, you have value for your learning. And then you can do well. So the pastor's job description does not include soap making, sewing clothes, and all of that. The pastor's job description is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry that the body of Christ may be edified. 
Okay, um, we just have effectively five minutes to round off uh, the start of uh, 30 Days of Glory for 2020. And what a fantastic program it's been so far, even if we say so ourselves. That's right. Matt Tarise says, Thank you, Papa, for your teachings, which I truly appreciate. My question, I struggle with memory to remember what you teach after listening to your powerful teachings. I will only remember when I go back to my notes. Is that normal? My name is, Ble- okay, blessings. Well, what you do is start speaking God's word over your mind. I have the mind of Christ. I have the understanding of Christ. My mind is retentive. I have a retentive memory. I have the ability to understand. The life of God is at work in me. The life of God is at work in my members. Begin to call the things that be not as though they were. And as you begin to do that gradually, you will see all of that memory coming alive. And a time will come you will even do better than me. And from Ogun State comes Desmond. Yeah, please, we want to clap. You're always free to clap. Desmond is Ogun State, says, Papa, you have been a blessing to my life and ministry. Please, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 to 9, who is referred to as the son of perdition, the one who sits in the temple showing himself as God, what withholds him that he might be revealed? Who is he that let it? So I count on you to reveal this. You will not be proud to have a papa like Dr. Ebel Damina. <laughs> I love you. Thank you. Well, my advice to you, if I enter exegesis on the man of sin, it's not actually the man of sin. It's the man of sin. That's what he was dealing with in Thessalonians. I've just written a book on the last days that does exegesis on antichrist, last days, and man of, man of sin and all of that. But what he was dealing with there is men of sin. Because if you read the pretext, the chapter before that chapter, he was talking about those that obey not the gospel. So it was in that same context. It's just an interpretation issue. It's not a man. It's men of sin. Men who resist the gospel. And because they resist the gospel, they are the ones who led and they are taken out of the way. So it's not one man. It's men of sin. However, that book gives you all the exegesis on that subject. It will soon be out. Okay, um, good afternoon, Papa. In the first service, uh, reading from Luke chapter 24, verses 39 to 43, Jesus in his glorified body did it with disciples. Is it, um, I don't know, is that safe? It's writing in shorthand to say that in a glorified body we all could eat also since Christ is a pattern now and forever. I don't know. Yes, of course, of course. In okay. our glorified body we can eat because whatever Jesus did in his resurrection, is a prototype of what all of us will do in the resurrection. Papa, the thing is getting more and more interesting, even at the point that we should be rounding off today. I know. It says, good afternoon, um, Daddy. My name is Victor. Please, is restitution of past sins, such as exam malpractice, a major requirement to make heaven? No, it's not. If restitution was a requirement, Brother Paul would restore all the human beings he killed because he went around killing everybody. Then when he got born again, he did no restitution. He went back to the same churches and he said to them, receive us. We have defrauded no man. We have wronged no man. And somebody says, what is he saying? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. Okay. Um, we however, need to go. However, yes. however, if you stole somebody's car, and now you are born again. Mm, you received Christ. Part of what will happen is you will no more be comfortable driving his car. You will no more be. You have to return the car? Just, you will give it to him. Mm, okay. Give it to him. Fantastic. You arrange it properly. Okay. Arrange it properly. 
Give him his car. <laughs> because you will buy more cars and better cars. Okay. Um, I'd like to apologize to Mark Desmond in Ogun State, Nigeria. Tomorrow we'll look at your questions. Um, looking for your number. Okay, no, I can't find your name. Diana Etiburu. We look at it um, tomorrow. Edward Irungo, Lord De Moses, and all the others who sent in a message or two. Tomorrow we come back in style. I will round off. So that's been it on this edition, the first edition for 30 Days of Glory for 2020. And you still have 29 more days till go. Papa, uh, my name is Michael Bush. I'd like to thank you even as I hand back to you to bless the people as we leave it for today and plan for tomorrow. Mr. Bush, you see why I said you should be the one to open here. It means you did so well. <laughs> thank you, Papa. We appreciate you. Can we celebrate Mr. Bush? Let's celebrate thank him. You. Thank, you. thank you. I'm Pastor Equerry and all the people on the background. We love you guys. Thank you for your labor. Everybody remember tomorrow at 1 to 3 p.m. This broadcast will be repeated on XLFM. Tomorrow. 106.9 FM, will you? Very, very correct. And, and wherever you are in the world, you can actually get it online. It's www.xl1069.fm, wherever right. you are in the world. And you can listen to the rebroadcast again tomorrow. Then you join us live again tomorrow evening. Tomorrow evening we'll be live on Comfort FM radio. And we'll be live on Kingdom Live Network and all the platforms at 6 p.m. GMT plus one. And after teaching, we will sit down again like this and answer all your questions and take care of your concerns. Social media people, you guys can also reach out to us and everybody else. We love you guys. It's a joy to have all of you connecting to 30 Days of Glory, the first day today. My prayer for you is that you grow in grace, you grow in knowledge, and you abound in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. Christ dwells in your heart by faith. You are rooted and grounded in love. And above all, the revelation of Jesus grows big on your inside until nothing else matters. In the name of Jesus, grace abound towards you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Goodbye from Uyo, Nigeria. Yeah, from Uyo, Nigeria. We see all of you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day and be blessed. Amen. 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 And amen. Praise God. Fantastic. Fantastic.